0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of our show History on the box with Katie and Allie. Normally just be Allie and I hanging out just the two of us with a couple of cocktails talking about famous women in history but sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about women in history. We have a very special guest here with us today Jill Burke. Welcome to the show. Hello it's lovely to be here.
1: Oh it's so nice to have you. Jill is a professor of Renaissance Visual and Material Cultures at the University of Edinburgh. She's here tonight to talk with us about her new book, How to Be a Renaissance Woman, The Untold History of Beauty and Female Creativity. Can you tell us a little bit about
2: yourself? Well, I'm a professor at the University of Edinburgh, and I have worked on the uh, renaissance period mainly in Italy for far too long 25 years now Um, and I am in an art history department I mainly teach women and it struck me that a lot of the women I teach don't really know about the history of beauty and how it affects women so we look a lot at art by people like Michelangelo or Raphael those kind of people or Botticelli there's all these women but very few people asked, well, how did it affect the women who were looking at it? How did it affect how men expected women to look and how were women using, you know, using makeup creatively and using other you know, clothing and ornament creatively and creating things themselves? So that's that's really what the book's about. And. Um, and um it's been quite nice to to hear reactions from people who don't even realize that cosmetics have a history. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I was really excited when I got the book uh, first off, the cover's beautiful gorgeous. um <laughs> I did such a good job <laughs> and I was like, what a fascinating topic I never thought about beauty standards in the renaissance era and how that would affect women so we can't wait to get into it but first of course we have to talk about the cocktail we made for your book (laughs) so i wanted to use ingredients that would maybe be found in some of these beauty cosmetic recipes so it is gin cranberry juice rose liqueur lemon juice honey and sage leaves and you Yum. You it all up and you garnish with tonic water and it's a lovely pink shade and you have the sage leaves on top and cheers to your book. Cheers. <laughs> yes. Wow. Mm.
1: It's
2: great. Delicious. Oh, delicious. I bet that is really good. Yep. Yeah. I
1: can't wait to send you the recipe so yeah. that you can drink. Yeah, I
2: can't wait for you to send me the recipe.
1: Yeah. And wait, look how beautiful. Sorry, listeners. You can't see this. Look how pretty it looks with the cover.
2: Gorgeous. Very
0: matching.
1: <laughs> And it's called How to Be a Renaissance Woman. Yeah, and it's called How to Be a
0: Renaissance Woman.
1: (laughs) So before we dive really deep into the book, one thing we always like to do for our listeners is set the scene. We're Mm -hmm. talking about the Renaissance era and specifically women in the Renaissance era.
2: What was life like for them at this time? Tough. There wasn't um, much agency. You know, it was difficult to earn money as a woman. Uh, You're very dependent on finding a good husband most of the time. So although women worked, you know, women have always worked throughout history, um, particularly, um, you know, kind of sewing or making um, cloth or in the fields if they're uh, rural women or just um, as servants. A lot of women worked as servants. Um, But basically, you were very dependent on men for money. Um, So women often couldn't own their own property. And so there's a lot of emphasis on looking a certain way in order to make a good marriage. And this is true right across um, all social statuses. Um, But particularly for poorer women, sometimes they could make a really good match. Or increasingly in the 16th century, there was was this kind of choice of becoming a courtesan as well, which was really quite dependent on on looks. Um, So, yeah, it was tough not much, um, agency. It was difficult for girls to be educated at this time. Um, and so they were tended to be dependent, you know, eking out a living in any way they could.
0: Mm -hmm. And obviously we've said it, we were talking
2: about beauty standards of the
0: Renaissance era. So can you tell us a little bit about what the ideal Renaissance woman was supposed
2: to look like? Right. Golden hair, (laughs) um, (laughs) kind of, um, uh, a pale skin with rosy cheeks, black eye. They they love dark black, but really arched eyebrows, dark eyes. So you have this golden hair, dark eyes thing going on and kind of rosebud lips. So there's a lot of emphasis on clear skin, on paler skin um, and on um, in terms of body shape, a kind of pear shape and um, that we'd think of now, kind of fleshy, kind of lower half, and um uh kind of so you can't really see any muscles or any bones but fleshiness kind of plumpness was the fashion and basically it was really hard (laughs) but beauty standards are always like really really hard to achieve um and in and in the renaissance there's so many skin diseases it's really there are a lot of women who aren't eating properly so it's really hard to be plump with really clear skin Um, (laughs) There you go. This is why uh, they kind of decided to have these beauty standards like that. And um, it was all linked to the idea of what's a healthy body as well, and what's a fertile body, and what's a kind of passive body. So blonde hair was very associated with passivity and fertility as well at that time. Um, mm. So yeah, it was. It's pretty grim again. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I'm I'm trying to picture like you said you teach some art history. I'm trying to picture the like
2: the the venus like was that like the, the renaissance picture that i should have in my head yeah yeah uh, like botticelli's venus the one that's coming out of the like on a big shell coming big out of the sea. Yeah. yeah that's that's good because she's got this little really really long blonde hair mm-hmm. she's got this kind of you know pear-shaped body she's perfect if you imagine her Well, that's what that's what they wanted women to look like. Great. So something I'll never achieve. (laughs) Exactly. Well, who who does achieve it? Exactly.
1: (laughs) So what lengths did the average Renaissance woman
2: go to if they could to try to achieve these standards? Well, similarly to today, you know, there's all sorts of lengths that they could go to. So um, in terms of body shaping, they do have an idea of dieting. Of eating uh, certain things to get fatter or thinner, um, they do um, try to, for example, bind breasts to make them smaller so they don't go bigger, mm-hmm. and also, um, they bind all sorts of things, so they, you can bind your arms and bind your legs to make them change size. It's not I can't imagine it working. <laughs> um, but they also um, used a lot of facial preparations. Uh, used a lot of hair conditioners, shampoos, things like that. And some of this was really toxic. So they use mercury to make your face lighter. Um, lead white was often used, um, and they kind of they didn't know that it wasn't great for you, but they used it anyway. Mm-hmm. And this is always something that people say: "Oh, they're, these silly women—they didn't know that it was poisonous." But you know, they did know it was poisonous. There's a chapter in my book that talks about how some women poison their husbands with this makeup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they didn't know it was poisonous, um, but the stakes are so high, people just choose to use it anyway. And it's, it's true, even today, people still use kind of makeup that's not great for them or tanning salons. We know that's not good. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, people still use it if it's if they feel the stakes are high enough, you know, if it's socially beneficial for them. And mm-hmm. um, still go ahead and use them.
0: Yeah. And it seems like there's a lot of, there are a lot of things that were going on back then that are still going on today. And one thing that I'm interested in is kind of the economics of the, the beauty industry. Because like we think of it as a very modern thing, but your book talks about like people publishing recipes and selling beauty products. Can you tell us a little
2: bit about the economics of that? Yeah, well, selling beauty products to neighbors and to friends and to an extended network was something that women could do if they were poorer women, women who were widows or women who were immigrants. So uh, there's a connection that is was quite interesting that I found out between um Jewish immigrants from Spain, so uh, the Jewish people had been expelled from Spain in 1492. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those, this meant there's a big Jewish Jewish population in Italy, and one of the things that they did to earn money because these people were dislocated, they were in a different country. And one of the things they did to earn money was to kind of set up as, um, making beauty products and working as beauticians, working um, to make do people's hair, do people's eyebrows, this kind of thing. A lot of these women, um, you know, didn't have much choice about what to work at, but they could make a decent, uh, decent, decent living doing that. And there's, most of them don't come down to us in history as kind of individuals, but there is a woman called Anna who we know made beauty preparations for the um uh for Katerina Schwarzer, who was a, a duchess. Um, and um, she was obviously one of these people who was really clever at putting things together and making potions that, and, and lotions that that improved your facial skin. So, um, there's a story there that actually there could. There's probably more uh, research that could be done on these really fascinating women who are really pioneering, actually, and just have such difficult lives, but just make their mark anyway, um, and 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 earn their money providing a service that people really find valuable. Mm, it's the Estee Lauder's, of yeah. The, of the, of the rest it's a long history of this it's amazing um, and yeah. and and you know there's far too much research for one person to do actually I, was, I really hope that there's going to be more work on this uh area yeah it's fascinating it is fascinating mm-hmm. like
1: I need like a book talk but all about like yeah. makeup history yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. makeup history is great mm-hmm. <laughs> more people should do it I hope more people will do it actually I think you know there's there's several people um working on this area now I've got a friend a colleague in Auckland is about to bring out a book on anti-aging um, um the history of anti-aging techniques so there's something that people are looking at more and more awesome yeah. so
1: you said you were inspired by a book called the ornaments of ladies can you tell yeah. us a little bit about this book and what things are in
2: it right so I I started looking for um hair removal for uh whether because my I I was working on um the paintings of the nude in the renaissance and all these women have no body hair and -hmm. I thought obviously it's the art you know I just assumed it was the artist that was doing this but then I thought but maybe maybe women did remove their body hair in the renaissance did they and so I started to look this stuff up and it turns out that women absolutely did remove their body hair in the renaissance like all their body hair so um and sometimes it even specifies like pubic hair as well so I was like oh Goodness me. And yeah. um, so um, um I started looking up more of these recipes and I did a Google search um for the um for body hair, um, the 16th century Italian term for body hair. And it came up with this this book called The Ornaments of Women, uh Gli Ornamenti delle Donne, um by a physician called Giovanni Marinello that was published in 1562. And honestly, I just read it and thought, wow. This is so recognisable. It basically said to women, it described women from like head to, from from literally from the top of the heads to the bottom of the toes. And it told them what each bit of their body should look like. And and basically what was wrong with each bit of their body (laughs) and what they should do to correct it. And there's a a bit right at the beginning, just before the section, the, the body hair removal section. And it said, ladies, if you don't if you let yourself get hairy you can't be cross if your if your husband decides to go behind your back to another woman (laughs) it's like oh no
0: that's how you know it was written by a
2: man (laughs) yeah exactly it really felt so reminiscent and so and I started to think about you know this history not just history of cosmetics but the history of not feeling good enough And how that kind of is intertwined with printing, with the pub- history of publishing, the history of capitalism and, and how this kind of sense that you can always improve. Because I think now people are, it, it's in, in some ways how two books are great because they tell you things and people how two videos now or whatever on Instagram all the time. It's like kind of helpful, but it also makes you realize you have problems that you didn't even realize you had like things you know on oh my word the bottom of my feet is <laughs> not not beautiful <laughs> oh no, <laughs> what am I gonna do about it but it was just exactly the same it was exactly the same and it was at that point and I thought I thought oh I'm, I'm gonna have to write a book Yep. And your yeah. book is incredible because not only do you go
0: through the history, but then you provide some of the real recipes that you yeah. tried because you had this other project called Renaissance Goo, which yes. I'm so interested in hearing about. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And maybe one of the most interesting recipes you came across.
2: Oh, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I I am um, working with a soft matter scientist, a physicist called Wilson Poon, And he, um, what we're doing is working on reconstructing some of these Renaissance cosmetic recipes. Um, And what we found out is that um, women in the Renaissance who were making these recipes at home or sometimes making them as a kind of business to sell to people had really a lot of profound knowledge about making stuff and about what worked and what didn't in the kitchen, a lot of knowledge that has been lost. Um and by remaking it and testing and testing these and uh, things in the lab, we could see just how efficacious and some of them were. So one of the things we've worked on is an anti-wrinkle cream. Um that's made it sounds bad. So <laughs> warn you now. It's made of sheep fat, not so nice. Yeah. <laughs> Egg white. <laughs> and these um and mastic and frankincense. So mastic and frankincense are tree You all have heard of frankincense, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know the wise men and, yeah. and for, yeah. jesus yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that, that, stuff, that 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 and so it's and it's like a tree gum and mm-hmm. it's kind of hard and that that you get in little kind of um granules and mastic is the same it's from a from a tree that only grows in in a special island in greece and anyway so we made this and i, I didn't think it was going to work and then what turn, what what happens is it turns into an emulsion and it turns into a cream that just looks like nivea cream honestly Hmm. it's like i wish i had some to show you i normally have some around but i don't have any around um and it's and it's really nice it spreads on the skin and although at the beginning because it's got mutton fat in it it smells a bit sheepy Mm -hmm. not so nice Mm -hmm. the frankincense and the mastic hide that smell really really well Mm -hmm. and um so it turns into this great cream it's amazing all the recipes are amazing actually um there's some we didn't try because they had things like um I don't know. blood in yeah and there's one with the urine of a red-headed man or something like that I can't remember mm. I didn't try that one I didn't yeah. fancy that uh, but um some of the ones with just plant ingredients a lot of roses smells so nice you know rose water is lovely um and violet um oil things like that it's just it's really good so they had a lot of really nice things and a lot of just knowledge Mm-hmm. that we don't have anymore yeah I so that was a fun and exciting thing is rediscovering all this knowledge that that um we just have no idea about anymore mm-hmm.
1: and some of these recipes were for gynecological concerns oh. as well of how to not get pregnant or how to end pregnancy were mm-hmm. these things that people were out in the open about or did they have to kind of like hide them a little bit to make sure people didn't know
2: Well, so the very first books of recipes, printed books of recipes for women were really cheap. They were like maybe about 20 pages, like pamphlets more really. Mm -hmm. And they'd advertise themselves as um, recipes, as as cosmetics recipes, but then they'd almost always be recipes for um, bringing on periods. So basically um, things for abortions in them. So there's a sense that maybe this is a thing that, men wouldn't necessarily know about or if or, or this is something that maybe certain kinds of women would know about and help people with mm-hmm. um um so yeah it's there's there's a lot of recipes actually for stuff that would bring on abortions because you know there's a lot of forced uh, pregnancies and a lot of um you know sexual assault in this time consent is not something that is is re- taken very seriously unless you're a very kind of um you know you remember the aristocracy or something like that and so women had just just got pregnant and were sometimes desperate you know mm-hmm. so, and uh, pregnancies yeah. and we've talked a little bit
0: about like some of the books that you use for your research but since a big part of this story is how women were feeling kind of inadequate. What other kind of sources did you have? Were you reading things that women had written about their feelings about this? Like what are the, what sources did you have?
2: I was just really interested in finding out what women thought about beauty as well. One of the things I was really aware of is that there's so many sources written by men and I didn't want the book to be dominated by sources written just by men. Um, so I had to look at all kinds of women artists and playwrights and poets um and I was amazed at how much people talked about beauty in their work and also just how many amazingly creative women there were in the 16th and 17th centuries you know these women were doing things like publishing um music Barbara Strozzi was like one of the most prolific um composers in the period who published more um more music than Anybody else, including um lots of men. There was um a lot of poets who wrote about beauty in different kinds of ways. Um, um a lot of um actors who were also playwrights who wrote poems about beauty. Um and so I, it was interesting to find out and, and women like um Moderata Fonte, who wrote treatises on the on the worth of women um and um talked expressed kind of openly how men should just shut up you know (laughs) men just don't have the right to say what women should wear and I was like Marderata Fonte you're amazing (laughs) and and so so she definitely went this is this is she wrote that in 15 uh, 1592 so it's amazing these themes that just come up again and again and this feeling of sisterhood you have with some of these I mean, uh, really that you have with some of these women struggling with in this immensely misogynistic era and struggling against this kind of tide of people telling them what to do and what to look like and what to think.
1: Yeah, there's obviously so many connections to how people feel and react today and women, how they felt and reacted throughout history with beauty standards. So when people sit down and read this, what is the, the message that you want them to walk away with? There's a few.
2: (laughs) I mean, I think the first thing is to understand that however we feel, how the kind of pressures that women feel today, it's got a context to it. So often, you know, people might say, oh, you know, people shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do that still. Right. They shouldn't react in a certain way. They're pressured to do it. But that's just what society is like. All societies have different pressures for people to look in a certain way. Um, and there's a historical reason for it. It's not an individual fault. So I don't want people want to feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want people to feel bad about feeling that they should do something. You know, that's just what societies are like. But secondly, I want them to understand that it's all right also to be interested in beauty and cosmetics. Mm-hmm. It can be very creative. It can be very interesting. A lot of creative and and interesting and fabulous Um Women in history have also been interested in beauty. It's not a thing that is just silly or frivolous. It's it's a part of women's lives and deserves to be treated with some seriousness as well as, you know, some fun, because it can be really fun. So so that's that's it. It's that kind of thing. Don't worry about feeling pressured. And if you if you really like beauty and if you really like cosmetics and you and you're interested in doing that and you're using it creatively, that's really great. (laughs) And that's that's got a history to it as well.
0: Yeah. I love that message. Um, and just one more question. If you were to recommend for us a woman from your research to cover on the podcast, do you have anyone in mind?
2: Well, Moderata Fonte is amazing. Mm-hmm. The other person is but Anguissola who was a painter in the 16th century. And she had a great story, went to the Spanish court, was really successful, got married, her husband died. And then she hooked up with the sea captain on her, on a boat on the way back to Italy from Spain. <laughs> and he was like, you know, 20 years younger than her. And her brother really objected. And she went, no, nah, I'm going to marry him anyway. And she married him anyway. And they lived together really happily until she died at the age of 96. Oh so um, she is as cool as anything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're so excited because this book releases in January. Mm-hmm. Of yes. 2024, <laughs> so soon. So it's just in time for everybody's New Year's resolutions in a couple of oh, years. One, you can try something new and mm-hmm. learn about beauty products. Two, mm-hmm. you can reach your book reading goals. Yes. Yes. And so can you tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find
2: all of your work, where they can pre-order this book? Mm-hmm. So it's... Um, out within really like the 2nd of january yeah. um, with, uh, pegasus books in the us and um and there's if you look at the website there it'll tell you all about it you can google me i also have a website um so you can just google um jill burke and renaissance woman that will be great uh, and you'll and you'll find me and you'll find the book and i really do hope that people like it Perfect. Yeah. Well,
0: thank you again for coming on. This book is fascinating. It's something that I didn't know that I needed in my library. So, <laughs> thank you so much. So
2: great to meet you. So nice great to meet you too. I'll see you later. Bye.